Hello and a big welcome to the first ever Albion Analytics podcast. My name is Liam, the creator of the Twitter page. I'm joined today by Charlie Benny. How you doing, mate? Uh, I'm excellent, thank you. So basically, uh, this is the first one. I'm sure a lot of people will have come over from Twitter uh, to listen to this. Uh, the purpose of this podcast is, much like the rest of the page on Twitter, uh, to try and provide a few numbers, a few statistics, uh, bits and pieces uh, for the Brighton faithful, but perhaps in a more humorous, sort of relaxed tone. Um, as you know, end of the day, it's just football, really. Um, which I'll get a lot of hate for saying that. Um, <laughs> how dare you, mate? How dare I, indeed. So, probably best to introduce myself slightly. Um, Charlie and I both sit in the West Stand Upper uh, at the Amex, uh, which we didn't know uh, until we'd, we'd first sort of spoken to each other over the summer. Um, and yeah, as, as we've already said, the, the aim of this podcast really provides you with a few stats that you might not see over on the Twitter page uh, in more of a light-hearted, light-hearted tone. So... Let's crack on, shall we? Let's do it. So, Charlie, uh, we'll, we'll go over a few things so far this season uh, before we get into some, some fun and games. Uh, what are your thoughts so far this season? Uh, overall, uh, pretty pretty positive so far. Um, you, you've got to be happy with our with our league position. Uh, lots of in, exciting new additions to the squads. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, was, it was difficult to know how we were going to line up uh, mm-hmm. coming, into, coming into the season. Uh, Graham Potter, obviously a big fan of chopping and changing and it, it was very difficult for us as fans, frustrating as well. Normally, yes, you know, I agree. Quite good at guessing the lineup in, in mm-hmm. the Tuesdays. days. Thought, oh, yeah. it's nailed, and, and now it's uh, it's hopeless. I've got this, got this nailed. Surely he's not going to drop this place. Yes, yeah. And all of a sudden, it's uh, four at the back with Dan Byrne, yes. Lewis Dunk, Shane Duffy, and Adam Webster mm-hmm. four at the backs. Yeah, he, yeah. You just don't know when that's going to happen. Uh, but yeah, overall, uh, really pleased with the way we're. Performing games, uh, standout performances. I have to say, Newcastle away. I was there for that, and it was yeah, it was good away. A disappointing result, somewhat. You know, an away point. Yeah, and point is always good, but I have mm-hmm. to, um, fantastic performance. Just the level of con- I don't yeah. think I've ever seen yeah. a, a Brighton team exert that level of control. In, over no, yeah, we, we we genuinely had we have worn um, what kit we were in that day. Was it, was it the green one we were wearing? I'm trying to think, trying to think about what. what it must I, have been the green one. Yeah, I think um, it was the green, yeah. I, I was thinking if we'd have worn that sort of um, the mustard yellow away kit that we had the previous season, we really would look like Prime Brazil because we, we were so good that day. And I know that it's a, a Newcastle side who are, I think, I think they're rock bottom having looked at some stats earlier this week in regards to um, like possession, territory, um, passes per game. They're right down there. But uh, as you say, there's no requirement just because one side's going to set up saying, oh, we, we're just going to sit back and absorb and hit you on the counter. You've not got a requirement to say... We're going to come and dominate the game. So I, I agree with you. Thought we were excellent that day. Um, felt for Connolly. Felt he really, really, you know, he's pure, pure fine margins away from scoring. Um, I think, I think in in hindsight, which is a wonderful thing, hindsight, especially from a stats perspective, um, made it all that much sweeter for him when he did when he did uh, get his two goals against Spurs. I think for for any striker or any young player breaking through, your first goals at home are always going to be a bit more special. I think. Absolutely. I will revise my answer, actually. I don't know what we're thinking. Tottenham at home, 3 0, Aaron Connolly, 2 0. Yes, no, that's game. true. That's true. Uh, that's, um, that's the highlight of the season so far. It's got to be. But our, our away form, just touch you on that. I think people don't realize we've been pretty dreadful away from home statistically this season. Like, we've really not been very good. And we've never been good away from home in the, in the Prem. Something that we've always had as a real strength has been our home form. Um, which is obviously something that we, we utilise really well. I wouldn't go as far as to be fortress because when you're getting beaten 5-0 at home by Bournemouth, I think 
the, the phrase fortune goes out the window a bit, but we were a team that was sort of reliant on our home form. Um, do you think that's something we really need to change or do you think we can maybe get away with it to an extent? I think based on the level of our performances so far this year, what I've seen, I, I'm relatively comfortable, bar a few blips, Chelsea away and uh, most mm-hmm. recently Manchester United away, which we, yep. uh, we'll probably talk about a little bit later. Um, yep. I, I think the performances have been wholly positive. I think City away, despite the result, you know, it can happen, but we mm-hmm. we a lot of bravery and, and Potter was right to uh, to come out positive after after the game. Um, Newcastle, of course, was um, a game where we really should have got maximum points. We've we've picked up wins sure. uh, away at Watford. Um, yep. Maybe, you know, on reflection, seeing how they've started the season, that's not all too impressive. But 3-0 away from home is always, is always something that... Uh, you love to see um, 100% you know, a very difficult run coming up uh, Anfield mm-hmm. away is going to be uh, Anfield away well Liverpool at Anfield of course yes it'll, yeah it'll be tough. I think the whole of whole of England are behind us on that one yeah uh, so. maybe we can be the first to inflict defeat on uh, mm-hmm. seemingly un- unstoppable Reds team so looking at some some numbers uh, in regards to like the away performances we were speaking I know you said about the nomination at Newcastle 682 passes we attempted that day, with almost 70% of the ball, the 91.2% pass completion rate, which is an astonishing to hit over 90%. I know obviously a lot of that is due to it being a short passing approach and whatnot, but 90% plus passes is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and I know this is looking at some Y Scout data I've just pulled up in front of me on my laptop. Um, I know that, well, probably a lot of listeners uh, listening to this won't know this, but uh, in regards to expected goals, um, as a metric that's becoming more widely used uh, in not necessarily the analytics community, um, sort of just general football. Now, sort of the first one's really breaking through uh, in regards. So I spoke about it yesterday uh, on a podcast uh, with together Brighton of Albion. Basically, they calculate the probability of someone scoring uh, based on numerous factors, things like the angle from the goal, the distance, number of defenders in the way, things like that to correlate uh, to what extent should they score based on a numerical perspective against Newcastle. Uh, Scout said we had 1.35 expected goals and Newcastle 1.14. So you look at it and say there's not a lot of difference between um, us in terms of when you're looking at having pretty much d- double the ball that they've had, um, and yet you're still coming out with similar sort of um, some sort of results in terms of the amount of goals you expected to score. Although why Scout, I do know a lot of people in the analytics community not great for expected goals, but. Do you, do you think we've perhaps been a team over-focused on build-up play this season rather than attack to an extent? Or how do you perceive that? It's a, it's a possibility. What's, what's interesting is this is, to a degree, the, the crux of, as to whether you uh, you take stats as a, as a key indicator of performance. Of you take uh, the eye test. And, and having mm-hmm. been in that game, it, it occurred to me that one of the, one of the stand, a couple of the standout things with the performance was indeed the amount of passes we played, the amount mm-hmm. we had, but also the speed that we won the ball back. We had an mm-hmm. incredible amount of possession, and I'm not sure, and I'm, well, I am certain that the, uh, the statistics would reflect that if we, uh, if you could measure it by uh, uh, by area of the pitch in terms of our possession, we, we sure. had a lot of possession in their half and in around yep. the box. We did have um, Neil Mopé up front. And whilst he busied himself and looked somewhat dangerous, yes, I, like without a bigger target in the box, we had a lot of mm-hmm. plays of in and just outside their box. I would say we 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 were circling them like sharks, but there wasn't oh, really 100%. much to aim at. So perhaps no, that's that true. Contributes to uh, 
sort of the low XG, we were really unable to. Uh, yep. they did play because of their inability to keep possession, they ended yes. up with a relatively low block. So mm -hmm. I think it was quite difficult to get shots off from a uh, from a close position. I, I agree with you. That's, that's something that's something we utilised last season as well, putting numbers between um, the player with the ball and the goal. Forcing people to shoot from range is always going to, um, no matter your shot frequency, is going to result in low uh, XG each time. <clears throat> so you did mention our pressing uh, there, which looking at it from a numerical perspective, with the exception of Watford uh, away, that's the most recoveries we've had uh, in a away game this season. Uh, we had 81 uh, in Newcastle. Uh, 95 according to Whitehead at Watford, which seems really, really high. Um, but interestingly, at Watford, we had half uh, an expected goal, 0.5. Um, and yet, showed that perhaps sometimes that's not always the best metric to go off of, expected goals. Uh, obviously, kind of with three goals there. Own goals obviously don't count. These two men made known that, but they don't count. Um, and then, obviously, Mapai taking one around the keeper and Andone scoring him from, from close range. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, I think with that particular example, I think that does indeed demonstrate how you have to be careful with very careful every stats metric, including very careful because you take yeah the own goal doesn't count the exactly. finish at the near post put in with pace you know close range but somewhat tight angle if I recall correctly. Uh, so I agree. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fifty fifty chance there, so that reflects the xG and Neil Pompey's finish whilst round the keeper and it was uh, yes without without obstacle it was a relatively tight angle. From of course, so perhaps that isn't uh, taken into account with the, uh... the. The one thing it definitely does tell you though is is we were clinical that day. I can't remember how many shots we had, but I think we had something like six or seven shots. Whereas in other games this season, we've had ten, fifteen, uh, more than that, and we've really wasted chances. So it's, it's usually a better indication of how clinical or wasteful you are, rather than whether you necessarily deserve to win the game. Um, I, I find, but we seem to have started shifting now more expected goals against. So looking at Chelsea, we were I went to Chelsea away um, and we were played off the park by Chelsea. Um, I don't think I've seen a side with as good combination playing in central areas in that zone 14 area. Um, for anyone listening who doesn't know what zone 14 is, especially this concept of it's an area just outside the penalty box, so uh, around the D area, which is basically meant to be sort of the golden zone, if you like, for um, creating chances for assisting, that sort of thing. Um, and Chelsea would... Unbelievable in there. Um, absolutely fantastic. Uh, 3.4 expected goals we were meant to concede. And having watched it with the eye test, uh, they missed quite a few decent chances. It could have been sort of mm. six or seven. Um, so just building off of that, do you think whilst we have been, a lot of people have said we've been brave, uh, going to the likes of City, trying to play our way, uh, same at Chelsea, perhaps a bit less so at United, but still trying to dominate the ball, uh, out, passing, out passing United. Um, do you think there's a fine line between uh, bravery and naivety in the sense that you say okay this is a Manchester City side who are underpinned by uh, an intense press uh, a, a game press sort of thing um, and then attacking in sort of your half space areas do, do you think there's a sense of naivety about it? I think to a degree you have to be pragmatic about what you can achieve with mm -hmm. the players you have I think in certain situations uh, I've been very impressed with some of the way with the way some of our players have been able to adapt this season and play mm -hmm. that position, Dan Byrne, I do feel a degree sorry for. I think he's uh, played oh, out this season. At left back, I feel it, it exposes everything that he is not. Of as course, a and that is, uh, you know, I think he's doing very, very well to sort of play as much as he can to the demands of of the position. Uh, Chelsea is a, is a great example where we were absolutely 
played off the park. I mean, it was mm-hmm. one shot on target. Back to back to the days of yes, us away from home. But forty seven percent possession against the top six side. I make it almost fifty here, but as you yeah, as you yeah. say, that's still regardless of the fine margins between it. That's a lot of possession to be having. Um, and so I want to touch on with, with Chelsea as well. Um, our best chance there came from a set piece. So I, I think Webster hit the bar from a Paso Rose corner. Um, and, and I know a lot of people seem to dislike attacks and set pieces. And I, I'm unsure why. For me, it's part of attacking football. Um, the more attacking you are, the more like you are to get set pieces in your free kicks, your corners. Especially if you've got players like Neil Mapai or Aaron Connolly or Stephen Azati's prime example. Um, Remember against Everton, Conley was actually fouled for both the penalty, of course, and the free kick that Gross scored from. Um, when you get players that are going to be fouled, you, you've got to do something with set pieces, uh, 100%. And when you've got someone like Pascal Gross and uh, Leo Trossard as well, who can produce you a class ball from a from a dead ball situation, um, you'd be silly not to use it. Should that be the only way you create chances? Of course not. But if you are creating chances, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, as we showed at United on, on Sunday, when obviously we scored uh, scored from the corner. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think you have to be potent from set pieces if you want to pose a more overarching threat. I mean, Austin Villa away, it was a fantastic set piece. Of course. From Gross to, to put it in. Um, Webster put it across and it could have been put in by Mopé. It could have been of put course, in. Of course, yes. It yeah, yeah. Into the corner. I, I think that if you if you leave yourself vulnerable to uh, tactical fouls when you're when you're trying to transition quickly, if that's how you want to approach attacks and if, you, if you're mm-hmm. uh, higher... Uh, attacking, attacking philosophy can be halted with a with a cheeky clip there, a cheeky trip, and mm-hmm. uh, to the referee, and then yep. you, you're back to square one. I, th- I think you can't Definitely. allow away with that. You need to make defenders really unsure, really worried about anything that they do. They don't want to give away free kicks. I'd, I'd agree. Yeah, from from set pieces, they want to. You just want to make them as unsure of themselves as possible because that's where mistakes will come, and that's where you'll get your best chances. There's certainly a necessity, I think, for versatility that you see in any top side or any decent side um, that can that can hurt a team in a number of ways, um, which I do think we're perhaps doing more this season. Um, but I think it's it's too soon really to make make full blown judgments. Uh, we see the 38 games because uh, people on Twitter have been saying this week about um, oh we should be on more points than we are, or there's no reason to say that we're going to fall off like we did last season. Um, I said, look, you're on the number of points because of the goals that you score and concede. Um, a lot of people say, oh, you know, we shouldn't have dropped points against Burnley. But if, if you only score once, uh, you are leaving yourself vulnerable to dropping points. You need one chance, not even one proper chance, one half chance, um, which is is a big thing in football. It's, it's seeing out leads uh, is, is a very difficult thing, um, very thing to do. Uh, and in regards to saying, oh, we dropped off last season, there's nothing to suggest last season we were going to drop off the way that we did. Uh, and it just so happened to be that it was such a such a drastic sort of collapse, almost sort of an implosion sort of thing that we just completely fell apart while somehow maintaining a, a cup run was um, almost slightly impressive. It was a really weird sort of scenario to be in. Um, but there was a, is obviously a lot more um, promise this season. But I think I think we see after 38 games we can make um, better casted judgments, to be honest with you. I, uh, I'd have to say that um, I, I don't suspect that we're going to fall apart in, in, in the same way. And... I mean, equally, I can't tell that for sure, but mm-hmm. Otto has been in the news uh, recently this week talking about how he is going to look to manage the workload it's mm-hmm. in terms of training and with the amount of matches that we've got coming up over the busy winter period. Um, I think, in fact, our possession-based football might have a positive effect. I think if Possibly. you're if you're if you're playing a very physically intensive game, 
and and maybe trying to win aerial duels in in a way that, you know you're just trying to fight for everything you can rather than trying to control the games i think in the busy period that is going to take its toll Definitely. and might be able to do that yeah. to i mean gets crazy by christmas two three times oh, a week completely uh, yes yeah you know if we're if we're having 60 percent possession in in our games our home games especially then uh, that's going to put us you know should quite well be beneficial yeah which is something that i think a lot of people don't think about is is the amount of running that players do with and without the ball um yeah something really important do you do you think speaking then about um about regards to our possession how how we use it um i've i've from the itis as you speak about i, I do feel there's a lot of similarity between Pye and Colin in the way that they play and i do feel like in some games there almost seems to be us crying out for when we're playing um, a bit more of a long ball approach to, to to try to win something in the air. Some someone like Glenn Murray. Um, you think someone with twenty five goals in two Premier League seasons? How how he's just been been put on the bench? Um, do you think perhaps they're a little bit too similar, uh, or do you or do you think it's working? I think it depends on the demands of the game. If you take the Tottenham game where it worked so well, mm-hmm. yeah, they both got on the score sheet. Admittedly, more pain. Yep. I mean, I think I could have scored that. To be fair. Yeah. Well. Yeah. The line, but what I will say is that the way that we approach the game with a with a four triple two, very unexpected. Mm-hmm. Really anticipate that we were going to line up in that way. I don't mm-hmm. think it had made much sense of it when the when the team came out. No, definitely not. If you want two pacey strikers who are really keen to run into behind to stretch the defence to make them drop back, definitely. that allows yeah. bigger space between the lines. If you're going to play two essentially two number tens in Moy and Gross to pick up the ball in exactly. Exact- that they love to operate in. I mean, Tottenham's press, they, they don't look like a, a team particularly well united at the moment, there, but they, they attempted no, they to press and we were very yes. we were able to play through it very easily. And having two paces stretching, stretching the defence just really, really made those spaces you know, available at all times, which is great. However, I do agree that um, in other games, when it's not as appropriate, if you take Manchester United, for example, yeah. uh, recently... Um, I think it would have been better served to uh, take a more measured approach to to your build-up play, having that option to mix it up. I don't see why you can't have um, a little and large partnership, as it were, can be equally. Yes, yeah. You know, it gives you a variety of threat. He did come on in the in the second half, Murray. I, yeah. I didn't really do particularly too much, but admittedly, no. our grasp on the game wasn't particularly substantial at the time, and I blame him. He didn't. He scores his chances, and he didn't have a chance. So. No, Definitely. No. I, th- I think the goals, like at City away, the, the time when we can see the goals uh, in that game in particular uh, hurt us quite a lot as well. The, the man of the goals weren't obviously great that we conceded, um, but yeah, definitely the, the sort of the times you can see you can really sort of t- take take the wind out of your sails as a side, um, especially like when when we did pull one back. So quickly thing and concede another one is you know is really quite deflating. Um, shall we move on then to our our dream team element? Sounds great. Let's do it. So, Charlie, would you like to introduce uh, to the listeners what exactly this this entails? Okay, so this is going to be one of the one of the games we're going to be trying to uh, make a recurring feature mm-hmm. uh, over, the, over the next few podcasts. So, basically, it's it's a pretty simple concept. It is a Brighton Hove Albion all time dream team, and you have to bear in mind, listeners, that we are both relatively young. So, I apologise yes. if we can't um, can't do justice to uh, some of the some of the uh, some of the older players, uh, so that, please berate us, educate mm-hmm. us in the, in the Twitter comments. Just, uh, just, um, just go ham um, if we're if we're missing some absolute. But uh, yeah, the premise of of this little uh, segment is we're going to be trying to create a 
Brighton have been all-time dream team, but not just on quality, not just on stature. We're going to be doing it based on the demands of a Graham Potter team. So mm-hmm. we outline those as being comfortable on the ball, tactical flexibility, uh, versatility with regards to position. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not necessarily the quality of the players. Uh, we're just talking about players that are in style, that would be it would be a fun fit. For uh, an all-time Brighton and Albion eleven uh, managed by Graham Potter. So to pretty say. much, yeah. So yes. it's going to be a little bit wacky. It's going to be, you know, it's not going to be the best players in each position. It will just mm-hmm. be, hopefully, um, the mo- yeah, it's probably what's like what would be regarded as uh, 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 interesting picks. Things that uh, players Definitely. that Graham Potter would have would have fun. With. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. going to come through a decision. Uh, we're going to you know talk about a couple of options per mm-hmm. position one position each each podcast and then yeah. we're going to put it to you guys we're going to do maybe a twitter poll after the podcast definitely and, and set us straight on uh, on which person gets the slot and eventually we're going to have a full graham potter all-time 11 and we're probably probably might put in some subs as well um as we've seen yes. all this season uh the, the benefit of substitutes uh, scoring yes we will uh, we will do that as well i think if it if it proves uh if it proves mm-hmm. so i thought you know We'll start off with the goalie. I thought that seemed the most sensible thing to do. Of course, start from number one, definitely. Um, I uh, before I put my cards on the table, Liam. What do you? So I'll outline very quickly for the for listeners. In in my in my view, uh, Graham Potter's demands on a goalkeeper has to be fundamentally ability to play out from the back with his speech, both short passes and long passes. We're talking about distribution. We're talking about mm-hmm. awareness to get attacks going quickly. We're talking about communication, um, shot stopping, confidence, uh, confidence take handling the ball. Mm-hmm. They're going to take a bit of a backseat in this team. Possibly, uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to be looking at distribution and uh, comfortable how comfortable uh, our goalkeeper is on the ball. So, do you have any initial uh, any initial nominations? I do. Right, I'm, I'm just going to outline sort of the, the premise that I see. Is I think I perceive it possibly slightly differently now for me. The quality of your goalkeeper's distribution uh, is sort of gauged based on how good your centre-backs are. Um, if you've got two or three centre-backs, if you've got someone like an Adam Webster or a Lewis Dunk uh, who can progress the ball, whether that be by carrying it, so running with the ball or passing it, for me, your goalkeeper literally needs to be able to just pass the ball off to them. A bit like if you've seen those um, clips of Sergio Busquets when he assists Lionel Messi, just passing the ball and lets him run with it. Um, so if you've got quality centre-backs, which I presume we will, I wouldn't be too fussed about the long-range distribution, but it'd be more the competence, uh, composure, sort of play outside the box, uh, be a bit under pressure. Uh, short stopping probably does take a back seat, um, but I think perhaps one of the areas where Matt Ryan might struggle a bit uh, in, in this current side is the scenarios of the shots that we're conceding now. So a lot before when we were deep blocking or mid blocking under Hewton um, were shots from range, shots from distance, uh, where you only sort of really had to parry shots. Uh, here he's dealing with a lot more 1v1s, uh, a lot more close-range shots. So I think perhaps the keeper who's more versatile in regards to shot-stopping uh, might be efficient as a last-ditch perspective, but definitely uh, the ability to play outside the box um, is, is something important. Um, I, I was thinking a little bit more um, a little more towards the, the older side. Um, for me, Ben Roberts has definitely got to be a name thrown in there, um, just because yeah. of knowing how long he's worked with, with the club now. Um his, his understanding of how the game's evolved um, is something that could definitely be applied um, and probably a similar to Potter as well, I'd expect. Um, and alongside that, Michelle Kuypers um, 
just again an, another quality keeper from from years back. Um, who, for more than anything, I think I'd be interested to see how someone like those two would uh, adapt to a position that's probably seen the most dynamic transition of any position in world football uh, on the pitch. As, as this keeper's gone from being someone who's your job just to keep the ball out of the net and not do anything else of it to we're not too worried about that now. You've, you've effectively got to be be a quarterback sort of style player. You've got to be picking these passes. So for me, Ben Roberts uh, and Michel Kuyper are the, the two I'll, I'll toss in into the mix. I mean, I, w- I was gonna, I was gonna say exactly, exactly that. Ben Roberts for me has to be, uh, has to be out there. I mean, he's worked obviously as a goalkeeper coach at Brighton mm-hmm. for a number of years now, and he is actually. I was going to say that his distribution has been a key, key mm-hmm. factor. He, um, you know, he has helped a lot of our, a lot of our uh, goalkeepers um, improve their distribution. You, I've seen them in, you know, in training, and they've, you know, managed to improve it quite, quite a lot, and and do and do. You know, to make them more adept in both short and long passing. Definitely, and, and and more recently, um, he he was a great player in his day as well. Got to give him, got to give him credit. Definitely, uh, a good good um, penalty saving goalkeeper as well. From what, yeah, what I do remember, always always important. We've uh, I, do you know what? We, I can't even remember. We how many penalties have we conceded this year? We, any? Uh, I think it's a couple. Well, there was one at Chelsea. Um, yes. I shall. I shall have a look. Have a look for you. Uh, but yeah. they've got a really interesting stat to come later on um, in regards to the penalty shootouts, actually, which will which will cover uh, a little bit later on. Can't get onto it just yet. Um, I think it's yeah. I think it's just one. But I, I will check that currently. Um, yeah, I just couldn't couldn't quite recall. Uh, yeah, I, I I mean Ben Roberts was my initial nomination. Matty Ryan has done very well with his feet, so I feel like he is. Uh, he is indeed worth a mention. Michel Kuyper's mm-hmm. probably not as adept with his feet, but um, probably I mean, not a nomination just for his the former of, Dutch Marine chef. Yeah, yeah, slow full to the ground nice. and claiming yes. for bellowing in his beautiful Dutch accent. Ooh, just, 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 just the one uh, penalty we've conceded this season. Jorginho scored it, uh, and just the one penalty we've had this season. Uh, Neil Mapai against Everton. Um, I'd, I'd briefly, for a fleeting moment, considered uh, Peter Brezovan or Casper Ankergun, but. I just couldn't envision um, Graham Potter working with with those two. Uh, Although, so, so. I will I will say to give to give uh, Ankergun credit, I was going to nominate him on the basis that he was our goalkeeper under Gus Foyer's promotion, and we did play out from the back in quite a, in quite an exciting way then. So, what what think, an individual Gus Foyer is! Yeah, I, I have to I've, I've got to give him some some credit. Mm-hmm. I think I'm probably uh, probably not first choice, but um, you know maybe. No, yeah. Substitute. I don't he's know. Pre- he's perhaps up there. But my um, best memory um, of Ankerin, I think, was uh, when we played Lincoln away uh, in, oh. in the FA Cup. Um, <laughs> uh, was it Nicky Mayemper in goal who managed to uh, concurrently at the same time give away a penalty and dislocate his shoulder? Um, um, I think it was Matt Reed. Ankerin then came on, uh, conceded the penalty. His first shot was to, to pick out the back of the net. Uh, then Fakari Tamori, uh, the, the England international now. Uh, Chelsea starting centre back uh, scored an own goal. Uh, we lost three one. What an afternoon that was! That well, was long in the memory. But surely for Richie Tell's uh, Richie Tell's gorgeous goal. His yes, his only goal f- for Brian. Someone who I don't know why never really broke in because whenever I watched him play, he did look quite good as a, as a physical presence, as a ball winning midfielder. He's for for someone of his size, he's really well built physically. He's really muscular. Um, and seemed quite quick as well for a central midfielder. Yeah, I mean, 
maybe we'll put a, give him a spot in this team. Who knows? P- possibly, possibly later <laughs> down on the line. Shame he couldn't break in. Actually, I did. I, I it's, it's a shame. In a small way, I mean, it's hard. To, it's hard to say why it didn't work out. We didn't see too much of him. It just didn't appear mm-hmm. to be particularly fancy. No. Uh, that's, that's how transfers go, isn't it? Um, that's how transfers go. So we're we gonna we're gonna finalise these nominations then. So we've got got Ben Roberts nominated. Uh, is Michelle Kuypers in there as well? I think so. We'll go with we'll go with four. We'll go with four nominations. I think we'll have okay. we'll have Roberts. We'll have uh, Kuypers. I think we'll have Ryan, and I think Ankergren deserves a shout as well. Okay, that so will be up on Twitter later on um, for for the public for the people to decide. Uh, the, the fate now lies in your hands. Indeed, so that, that's for that's for our cats between the sticks. Uh, take take your pick of who who you would like. Uh, I think that's a perfect time now to move on to uh, another featured game that we've got um, in in the podcast, which is uh, adequately titled "A Series of Unfortunate Events Which Have Occurred Since Ali Reza Yehanbash Last Scored." So <laughs> Ali Reza Yehanbash famous for being. Uh, the Iranian player, the Iranian winger that Brighton signed, um, having failed to pick him up initially for a couple of mil, um, he then went on to, I think it was Azal Alkamar. Uh, we scouted him intensely, uh, ended up paying, I think, I think it's 17 mil. Uh, someone will definitely remind me if not. Um, believe it's 17 mil, uh, and he's yet to score in, what is it, a year and a half now since he last scored. I, I think when I checked it, the last time he scored was on the final day of the Eredivisie season. He actually got a hat trick, quite ironically, before we signed him over the summer. So this is basically a game where I'm picking out a statistic that's occurred uh, since Ali Jay's last scored. Uh, that's then tied into a question that I'm going to quiz Charlie on. We're going to have five questions um, per episode. So let's get cracking with question number one. Let's so since it. Ali Reza, Yehan Bash has last scored. Pascal Gross has created 25 big chances in the Premier League. This bit isn't relevant to it. I just saw a really interesting statistic. 22% of his long passes led to chances created, which is a ridiculous stat. It was 20, uh, 25 of his 114 long passes led to shots occurring. Pogba, in the same, I think this is in the same season, I believe this is last season, 249 long passes, five shots, just for context. Um, I'm not sure what that works out to as a percentage, but that's ridiculous to have almost one in four long balls leading to a shot. Um, so 25 big chances since Ali J last scored. I make it out to be 24 goal involvements for Pascal Gross um, for Brighton of Albion in the Premier League uh, for just three million great British pounds, of course. That is £125,000 per goal involvement. Do you think that's more or less than the total touches of all the Brighton players combined in Premier League history? Oh, that is a touch. You know, if if you'd asked me this before Graham Potter had taken over, of I would course. More, but we've had a lot of touches of the ball this season, and it might have just spiked up. I'm going to back the team. I think okay. I, that's, I think that's less. I think we've had more touches. You're going to be surprised by this. We've no. had a grand total uh, up to having played United last week. Uh, Fifty-one thousand five hundred ninety-four total touches. Uh, I'm going to go through a season breakdown now. Uh, as you said about the, the spike under Potter, uh, we. Uh, average 570 per game uh, in our first season, which was the 16th fewest. 564 per game uh, last season, which was the 17th fewest. 706 per game this season, which is the sixth most. So that's obviously the key. Um, that's just, just a perfect reflective stat, isn't it, then, of the styles of play. Um, 
in, in regards to the directness, um, sort of the passes per possession as well, and the passing temper, Potter and Hewton. Um, and, and despite the contrast in stats, I think we're, what, one point better off than where we were last year? So it just goes to show more touch from the ball doesn't necessarily um, correlate uh, to better performance. But I thought that was a really interesting little comparison there. Uh, and having there's an excellent book I'd encourage everyone to read. Uh, it's called The Numbers Game. Uh, I can't see it on my desk anywhere, uh, as I thought I put it on there, but I've evidently not. But that's fine. Uh, they were looking at sort of uh, interactions with the ball. Uh, the average touches per possession uh, from their sample size was two, and the length of time of that interaction was just 1.1 seconds, which is ridiculously low. I think players have got that entire length of time to process stuff like information around them, what they're seeing make a decision um, with just two touches of the ball as well. It's ridiculous on average, which just goes to show, you know, obviously how high the, the tempo of the Premier League is. Exactly. The level so, is incredibly high. So maybe that's a little bit of leniency to uh, to Ali J. Possibly. Yeah, it's definitely a key point. All right. <laughs> I, I think I think it's perhaps a bit bit generous, though, to, to suggest uh, that, that entire um, difference in, what is it, 21 goals to zero? Uh, you would have expected a few more. So zero for one so far, Charlie, but I'm, I'm confident you, you'll, you'll come back and uh, make amends. So since Anirazi Hamash has last scored, Virgil van Dijk has been dribbled past. Big topic all over Twitter. Do you know who dribbled past him most recently and who the player was before that? That's not the actual question, um, but that's just a bit of an add-on. I mean, I feel... I, I, I know... I remember Lucas Moura dribbled past him at some point. I'm, I think he did anyway. Uh, There's two names that I've got down here. And he's Nicolas not... Pepe most recently. <laughs> okay. I remember that occurring because he then spooned a shot over the bar from about 20 yards. I will be honestly amazed if you get the person who did this, who drew a pass in before. This is back in, I think it was March 2018, um, playing for Newcastle. Forgot this this bloke even existed until who... I read it. It's not... Uh, so, it's, so it's someone who doesn't feature a lot for Newcastle then, basically. He's so. not there anymore when I look at his Wikipedia, which isn't a reliable source of information, ladies and gentlemen. I just had to do it quickly. I mean, he's not there anymore. I mean, Iose Perez is not there anymore, but I think he's quite a prominent figure, so I think you I think you wouldn't forget him. Um, is it... It's not Rondon, is it? It's Mikel Marino, of all no, players. Okay. So do what you want with that information. But I just thought that was really interesting. Um, now, yeah. linking that back to Brighton players, then, who do you think are our top two players to be dual pass this season is, is the question. Um, it's very close between these two. See, this, I'm not sure whether to... I'm not, I'm not sure whether to consider that people who... Players who you know, play further forward and, and, and press mm-hmm. higher are more susceptible to being bypassed. Fair enough. This is... Per 90, by the way, this isn't taking into account minutes made or, or whatever. It's just, just an average per 90 figure. So it's not like a total. It's got no bearing on it. I think that... And it's not it's not reflective of... Um, it's not percentage either, so it's not... it's not. Uh... No, it's just frequency per game. Yeah, just frequency per game. I think Dan Byrne's been dribbled past quite a lot. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to get any of these. I know I'm not. Um, I, I just... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say... That's. I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to say Dan Byrne. I'm going to say Dale Stevens and and I'm going to say Martin Montoya. Dale Stevens is in the top two. Um, Martin Montoya 
other isn't. So oh. the top two are Stevens and Proper, which is really interesting. Central midfielders. Oh. Yeah, Proper edges it with 2.1 times per 90, Stevens uh, with bang on two, which is really interesting to see how, in regards to us perhaps being played through a few times a season, um, those two who are, I know Stevens is a frequent tackler, um, but those two, by the way, are both like the top 10 in the league um, for being able to pass per game, which perhaps our defensive discipline is something we need to work on. But I thought it was really interesting. Uh, in, who do you think is the fewest in regards then uh, on the contrary to that? I will say... Is there, is there a minimum amount of minutes played necessary? Uh, I think there was. I think when I put, put in, there was a, a minimum amount I think I put in. Uh, I can't remember a minimum amount. All these players that I've got noted down have, have played at least a few games. Okay, I will say. I mean, the, obvi- the obvious one is just more play O'Connolly, but I feel like I feel like it might that might be a trap. I feel if I tell you that Mapai and Connolly didn't have the same amount, would that surprise you? Somewhat, but although they have played in, although they were both playing up front together. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, maybe uh, perhaps uh, is 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 one a more aggressive presser than the other, perhaps potentially, or a worse presser. There's yeah, or one doesn't press at all. Um, so Aaron Connolly uh, and Glenn Murray both average just 0.3 uh, occasions where they dribble past per game. So you're looking at being dribbled past once every three games. Uh, Mapai, Trossard, and March uh, all on 0.7. Uh, so it's it's just over one every two games. Uh, the lowest of any defender that I could see was Adam Webster, just 0.8 per game, which I think is, for someone who's such a good ball progressor, to be able to stop players the other way and um, progressing the ball past you, I think is an excellent statistic to back him up. Um, impressive, actually. Playing yeah, that is really impressive. Games and indeed playing on the right side. Given of- his versatility, I fully agree with that. I was really quite surprised when I saw that. Um, with the forward players, less so, uh, especially with the wing-backs looking at March, being a bit higher, um, didn't strike me too much. But Webster, I was thinking I'd expect all the defenders perhaps at least see C1, especially with the frequency that we've been counter-attack this season. Um, so I'll, I'll give you half a point for that. So you're 0.5 out of 2 so far. Since Ali Rezi Hanbash has last scored, Dale Stevens has given the ball away 336 times. 19 of those are dispossessions and 317 are misplaced passes, which I calculated from his, his pass completion rate and pass frequency. Do you think he's given the ball away more than he's played backwards passes? I think that he maintains possession well. I think that he does pass the ball back semi-frequently, but only really when it's necessary. He does endeavour to look for um, progressive passes. I think that he, you know, recognises the importance of not losing the ball in his vulnerable position in front of the back two or three. I would say that he has passed the ball backwards more than he has been dispossessed. He's actually given the ball away more than he's... Played it backwards. Surely. Um, what a joke. 336 occasions where he's given the ball away. 299 backwards passes uh, in that time. So that's according to the Premier League uh, data, which, yeah, I thought was interesting as well. Um, You're showing yeah, me up. This isn't, this I'm, isn't I'm very apologetic for that. Um, I'm giving like, uh, my maybe, reasons and it's just completely wrong. Yeah, yeah, no, these, these are great. These are great reasons, but it might just be a lesson to people that often a lot of what we see, we don't, doesn't actually necessarily manifest numerically. Basically, um, don't take benefit because I clearly... pretty much yeah. <laughs> um, that's not saying that what you're saying isn't true though, but it might just be a case of perhaps him giving the ball away by 
losing it is, is a bigger event. You know, it's more memorable than when he just plays it backwards. So you might remember that more. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was interesting you said as well about being a good ball progressor. Does play just under 10 progressive passes per game, which I believe is a pass that uh, reaches over a certain number of yards. I think it's something like 30. Um, so yeah, he's one of our top ball progressors, uh, most definitely. Moving on then to question number four. Um, this question isn't going to do you a lot of favours as the first two were a bit more serious. These last two are a bit more light-hearted, although you should definitely score some points on the last one. So 0.5 out of three, um, looking at relegation form currently. So hopefully you can step it up for the last couple. Since Ali Rosa, Johan Bash has last scored. We've been in an FA Cup semi-final. We have. Our first in 36 years. We're only the third side to win a quarter-final on penalties. And eight of the last nine penalty shootouts, we have won. Now, that uh, semi-final was held at Wembley Stadium. This is, this is a brutal question. Have a look down at it now. <laughs> at the Green Day concert in 2010, what was the maximum decibel level that was reached? Are you going to give me some options or are you just going to do that? It's, oh. it's quite hard to give you options for. Um, Oh my goodness. It, it's not a low number. Um, I'll tell you it's more than 50, is what okay. I'll tell you. That's, that's it, it's, it's between 50 and 200. Between 50 and 200, okay. So, I would say... Not, not a massive Green Day fan, I take it. No, I mean, I, I might have even been there. I wasn't there, but if I was there, oh. I don't known the decibel level anyway so oh, I think cool. I'm, I'm going to say that over 50 and under 200 I think mm-hmm. I've just got to go something something relatively nice and oh, do you know is there a trap in there in this question I'm, I'm going to no. go 100 and I'm going to go for 145 I think that's... Oh, okay. You're not a million miles away. It was 101. When you said 100 and then I was... My mouth is usually dropped. I was like, is he going to get this? Like the only question right is about a Green Day concert. Um, 101. I, I just just thought I'd like to put in a question about um, about the FA Cup semi-final. Um, and when I, when I looked at it, I went... Um, I would like to see what the average decibel level is at Wembley. Um, having lived here, I was like, well, what's the average decibel level? Couldn't find anything about the football, so I settled on the Green Day concert. Um, 0.5, then a half out of four. I was expecting you to get that one. I'd, I'd have been very impressed if you, if you pulled that out. I mean, that um, was, was Liverpool away, second to last game of the season. So now it just all comes down to this big home game. Yeah. Got a win yeah. to live. This Definitely. Is By the way, just speaking about our tail end of the season, for like the first time ever in the Prem, it's got three like winnable games. We've got, I think it's Newcastle at home. Burnley away and Southampton away, like our last three games. That's a big end of the season. Regardless of whether we're trying to avoid relegation, pushing for Europe, mid-table, whatever, that's three games we could get results out of, which is something a really different time to be put in. I feel like yeah, um, nine, nine points at the in the last three games. I'm you know just could, could huge. Do. That could be huge. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and having been on the receiving end of that with Newcastle was in the Championship when when we didn't win the league. Um, could be huge, yeah, definitely. And I mean, last season, to, to give us credit, we were really poor between sort of after we Palace in March um, up until like Newcastle in April when we just got battered in so many games. Um, 
we did actually have a decent tail end of the season. We got a draw against Newcastle, got one against Wolves, got one against Arsenal. Um, so, you know, if we can find some form end of the season, um, who knows where we might end up. Uh, last question then of, of the podcast. Since Ali Jay has last scored, he's racked up a whopping 0.7 expected goals as he gets played the Premier League this season. Um, this is all from last season. Um, already mentioned a little bit about expected goals. So basically, the total um, probability of him scoring all of those goals, what you tell ultimately, that's a ridiculously low, low number. Nilma Pai has had higher expected goals figures in two games already this season. That's as in, he's had high numbers alone in one game twice. I think it's Norwich against Spurs, he hit close to, and on one occasion was just over one. Um, so even from a numerical perspective, it's not like Ali Jay's been overly wasteful. He's just not even got in any good positions to shoot, is what that suggests. Um, I'll put his radar map on Twitter for that. It's one of the um, radar maps you obviously look at where they have all the different metrics on the outside. Uh, the wider it is, usually the better for each metric, depending on what it is. Uh, it's, this is the most narrow, tiny radar map you've ever seen in your life. Um, his highest in one game was 0.21, was at Southampton away, when Jurgen Lockwoodia famously fell over the ball in a counter-attack. Uh, I remember that chance, actually. He had a little flick. Yes, he? he hit the post, actually, with one of them. Um, yeah. So this, to my this is now, I remember things like that, but I can't... You I can. don't know decibel level at uh, Green Bay concerts. Well, I don't make the rules here. Actually, I do. I make all the rules. That's a total lie. Um, <laughs> however, where he does lead... Uh, He's in Scrabble points. He's the highest scoring Scrabble point name for any Brighton player with 33 points. Who do you think comes second and third in our 25-man squad this season in the Premier League if he comes first? Oof. So this is this the tricky thing is I do do I go for length or do I go for that's that's what I did. And I actually had the enjoyable half an hour of going through every player's name and typing in their name into a Scrabble word calculator. Um, so, it's so nice Sunday yeah. nights are thoroughly enjoyable. I'd say length or the uh, infrequency of letter or both. So mm. let me think. So we've got is it just surname or is it both? Is it both? Names? Just surname, just surname. So your hand bash gets you thirty three. Okay, so we've got Alzate with a Z in there. We've got mm-hmm. Suma, relatively high length. We've got Shigalotto, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. relative length. I'm just okay. I think I can. I think I can relatively safely rule out Dunk and Ryan. I'm, I'm Dunk gonna... got you nine points. Ryan got you seven points. Uh, okay. Neither of those were the lowest scorer. There were two names oh, really? that scored less. A uh, three names, sorry, that scored six. Burn maybe. Dan Burn was one of them. Pascal yeah. Gross was one of them, and Jason Steele was one of them. Ah, uh, is... okay. I am gonna say. Let's see. Um. So. One of them, I believe, has to be Izquierdo. Izquierdo is in second place. 28 points for Jose Izquierdo. Uh, and, man, this is, this is tense now. I... I'll, I'll give you a point for that. That's, that's one and a half out of, out of five. I'll, I'll be nice. You can get a point. So we've got one. a point. And we're, we're waiting on other results to see if we can... Oh, the results to go your way, yeah. Okay. I am going to say... Just go through real quick. Make sure you don't miss. Okay. It's really close between two names that you've mentioned as well. I'm not. I'm not trying to sell the pot here, but you've mentioned oh. third and fourth place, and there is one point between them. This is Stop literally. It. This is literally. Um. This, be... this is tight. This is it. So it is Scalotto or Alzate. Yes, they are the two as well. They are the two. I am gonna say. I think. Well, 
if it was first names, Ezekiel would have smashed it. But I'm I'm gonna say I'm I'm gonna say Shigalotto. Ezekiel Shigalotto would have got you fourteen points in Scrabble. Steven Alzate, as you mentioned with the Z, was fifteen points. Oh <laughs> you've 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 to be to give you credit, you've you've named both of them. Um and yeah, Ezekiel would have absolutely smashed it, but Alzate with the Z puts him at one point higher. Um, so the, the top three are Ali Razi Yahambash, so 33 for Yahambash. Uh, Iskedi in second with 28. Alzati in third with 15. Ezekiel Schlotter in fourth. Uh, the Greyhound with 14. Um, I couldn't think of, I don't know if you can think of any names at the top of your head. I was trying to think of some names to possibly, uh, to possibly beat that. Um, the only one I can think of which doesn't actually count because it's um, a Del Barrett surname was Colin Kazim Richards, which got 34 yeah. points. I oh, couldn't okay. think of anything better than that. Um, which was gutting. I wasted a solid half an hour there. So if you can't think of anyone, um, yeah, Kazim Richards scores 34 points. Likewise, anyone listening, hit us with some names of former Brighton players or current ones if we missed anyone out. Yeah, unusual unusual letters in Kish- uh, Radisson Kishishev played. How on earth would I spell that? Uh, uh, mate, I don't know. I, I remember him playing in, uh, in League One. He was pretty decent, actually. That's oh, okay. uh, boy, he was... Um, mm. Nice, nice bit of steel to the midfield when Bridcut couldn't play. Bridcut, what a player! Scrabble outcomes, I'm afraid. So we'll have to mm. yeah, leave it. There. But it's another task for people listening on Twitter. Try and hit us then with with the highest scoring uh, Scrabble names. Uh, if you know the decibel levels, likewise at any concerts uh, at <laughs> Wembley or any other good arena, um, play us with those as well. If you do, I'd also suggest reevaluate your life choices as to why you know those sorts of information. Um, but yeah, besides that, that's been. Thoroughly enjoyable, Charlie Benny. Uh, Thank you very much, Liam. Pleasure to be here. It's been an absolute pleasure. This is something we'll try and get some guests on as well in the future. Um, but we hope you've enjoyed the pilot episode. Uh, it was fantastic to produce. Uh, please do go and check out the Twitter, at Albion Analytics. Uh, I'll put some stuff on there as well uh, in regards to linking the podcast back here. Uh, some few bits and pieces will be on there as well for you, to, for you to cast your eyes over. Likewise, anything you want to see on the Twitter page, please go and let me know over there. In regards, if you want to see any threads or anything, uh, any graphics, any stats about players, I'll do my best to source those up for you. Uh, please do go vote on the poll that will be live. Uh, and please yeah. think of some more former Brighton players to score some Scrabble points. Uh, if you do think of any really good ones, let us know and we'll give you a massive shout out next week. If anyone can beat Colin Kazim Richards with 34 points, it doesn't really count as he's got a double barreled name, but will allow double barreled names. Jake Falls to Cash is one I thought of 25 points. Um, but yeah, it's been thoroughly enjoyable. And we will see you for the next episode.